0: Hello and welcome to the Maximum Theater and Performance Podcast. This is our October preview. Enjoy the show.
1: Here's the thing about Greece. <laughs> I
0: feel like it's just ubiquitous. No,
1: well, I know, right.
2: but I just missed it somehow.
1: But like Greece, like is like so transmogrified over the years that like, right? Yeah. Like the movie has so little to do with the original stage production, and subsequent stage productions have so little to do with state the, original but the movie's like the thing. Right. Like
2: that so many people are familiar with. Right.
1: But it's also like garbage. I mean it's like it's <laughs> beloved garbage, but it is garbage.
2: Yeah. Maybe that's why I missed it. Yeah.
1: I mean it's the sort of thing like in the same way that I think like if you're gonna be engaged in cultural work, you should have read the Bible because otherwise you'll miss a lot of references. <laughs> like I, hate, yeah. I think it's helpful to have seen Grease. <laughs> no, no,
2: I I should. But it always felt to me, people always talked about it the way they talked about like Cookie Crisp, which is like there's a nostalgia, but like well, it's not good. Yeah, it's not good. It's like no, it's awful. I, I find like,
1: more pleasures in Greece than in Cookie Crisp. Okay, well that's good to know. Um, that's very good to know.
2: Um, are we doing this?
1: Shall we start with introductions? <laughs> yeah. Do we need further introductions than that?
0: <laughs> Comparing <laughs> Greece to Cookie Crisp? Oh. That probably won't make the final cut. That's oh.
1: That's a, that's a damn shame. Save that for the for the bloopers episode. <laughs> All right. uh, Hi, this is David Levy. Uh, You know me from Maximu, and you can also hear me on soundtracks, Song by Song.
2: Jack. This is Jack. I uh, work in New Play Development at uh, the Public Theater in New York City, but I'm here in my personal capacity. My views remain my own. Oh, my views are Jack's. That's true. Right. That's true. We talked about it.
0: And I'm Lindsay, the today very inept podcast producer. We've had some technical difficulties, but I believe they're all behind us now. You
1: solve them. That, to yeah. me, is the actual definition of aptitude.
2: So the listeners don't need to know that. I don't need I to know, know how the sausage is I made. I know.
0: conceded. i was conceded <laughs> incompetence. There's so was much sausage.
1: <laughs> uh, it's going to be a loopy morning here at the Maximum it headquarters. Is. Jack hasn't slept. I haven't slept. FYI. This is
2: something I decided not to do.
0: All right, we're in for a good time. David, what are you looking forward to seeing at the theater in October in New York City?
1: I am looking forward to seeing Love, Love, Love at the Roundabout in their off-Broadway space. This is the latest play by Mike Bartlett, who you may remember from King Charles III, which I love, love, loved last season, uh, and also from Cock and from Bull. Yeah. Yeah, so this play is... Uh, a three-act play that follows one love affair through three different time periods. And it starts uh, in London in 1967 during Beatlemania, which I think is a little bit of the key to that title. It stars Richard Armitage, Zoe Kazan, Alex Hurt is in it, who I have never failed to be delighted by, directed by Michael Mayer. Uh, So it's it's got like a lot of solid people behind it. I actually don't know a whole lot more about it, except that... I know there are two intermissions because some of my friends were complaining about that uh, yeah. so that it, it's, it's actually not a particularly long play, but feels maybe a little longer because of the three act structure. But these are all talented folks whose work I've enjoyed in the past. And I tend to like seeing things at the Laura Pels cause it's, it's intimate and uh, they tend to do, I think more interesting work there than the roundabout tends to produce on Broadway. Um, and the last Two shows I saw that, or maybe not the, the last two straight plays that I saw. They're both transferred to Broadway: like "The Humans" and "Significant Others." So, I'm learning that like this is a good place to get in on things early. No,
2: yeah. and is there something to do with the Beatles?
1: Well, it takes place during Beatlemania. Okay. the first act, right, right, um, and then I think I think the second act is 20 years later, and the third act might be 20 years after that. Oh, interesting.
0: That... I have seen yeah. this play on TDF. So, if you're looking for a reasonably priced ticket, they are out there, but the tickets to this show are not gener- generally very inexpensive. Right. Uh, well, it's Aren't funny they like though. sixty dollars or something?
1: I don't know. I've never actually. I don't think I've ever paid full price for a show at the Pels. They they tend to offer discounts in all sorts of the usual places. They um they, they show up on paper and services like because I think because the Pels is The space where they try out new works especially before reviews come out there's usually a lot of shall we say audience development at work Um, so if you're interested uh, snoop around on the internet and uh, I haven't actually looked too hard to find what's available but I know that in the past uh, I've generally had pretty good luck at at getting in discount or cheap.
0: This is the one roundabout show that I'm interested in seeing. I'm usually not interested in there. You mean Holiday
1: Inn is in the Lindsay Barron's show? Mm -mm. (laughs) But it's a delight.
0: I have no (laughs) doubt. (laughs) I'm sure it is. Uh. Actually, I feel like word of mouth has not been good about that show.
2: Oh, I don't know.
0: Anyway, whatever. Who cares? (laughs) No, but also,
2: the other thing about Runabout that I love is their Underground series, which is like... Which
1: they're expanding this year. There's going to be two shows instead of one.
2: Two shows. And the one I'm particularly excited for, which is next year, is um, the play by... uh, Oh, God, I'm just planking on it just now. This is exactly why I need sleep. Um, uh, 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 Martine Zimmerman's uh, After the Exhale, which is uh, a play about uh, gun control, and that's all I'll say. It's a solo show. Mm. And that is... One of my favorite new plays in existence wow. right now, awesome. and so it's um, yeah, you're gonna, yeah, enjoy that. But
0: anyway, so full,
1: full price tickets to Love 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 are $89 or oh $99. My Lord.
0: That's insane! But
1: like, again, I, I, I don't think I've ever paid full price to see a show at the Pels, and you shouldn't either. I mean, unless you want to support the work of a non profit theater, <laughs>
0: <laughs> a conversation for another day, perhaps. Yep, yeah. Jack. What are you looking forward
2: to? I am very excited because I get to say a sentence that I've been dying to say for over a year now, which is, I have purchased a ticket to the New York premiere of Viet Gone by Queen Yen. This is a play that I uh, saw in a reading at the uh, Pacific Playwrights Festival out in California um, last summer, not this past but the one before. And it was like a 10 a.m. reading in a giant theater, their main uh, stage theater at South Coast Repertory. And it was, I think, maybe the best reading I've ever attended in my life. It was like full riotous standing ovation at the end of a reading. Like, it was insane. Um, And immediately knew that like this play was gonna be, like, this was gonna go, uh, hopefully (laughs) have many homes around the country um, and eventually come to New York. It's uh, a hilarious a uh, d- deeply moving, strange play. Um, for those who don't know uh, Kui's work, Kui is sort of the, the mastermind behind the, uh, unfortunately now on hiatus or defunct, depending on how you want to look at it, Vampire Cowboys, which specialized specifically in genre theater, particularly th- theater that sort of had samurais and gun battles and ninja fights and was very, it felt like comic book live on stage. Cui's also been working uh, and developing Vietgon for a while. Cui himself is Vietnamese. And this story is actually sort of loosely based on the true story of how his parents met, which, it was, which was as uh, they were both, uh, they didn't know each other, but both of them met at a refugee camp in the United States um, when both of them were refugees from the Vietnam War. And uh, so they sort of uh, meet cute and fall in love and uh, sort of, Discover America together, and eventually decide to, you know, stay and assimilate into America together. That's a very bare bones description of what happens in this play, but the the tone of the comedy, which is uh, acerbic and. Borderline completely silly works so well in this play. He kind of the, the the seriousness or the portent of the of telling you know sort of essentially his family's American legacy is worn as lightly as a cap. Like it, it uh, he doesn't take it too seriously um, at all times. And uh, but there's also kind of buried within there uh, some really interesting perspectives on the Vietnam War. It's actually one of the only times on stage that I've seen a Vietnamese perspective on the Vietnam War, and they are, those perspectives as presented by uh, the sort of the avatars of Queen's parents are actually rather complex and sort of kind of challenged a little bit of my own thinking about what I imagine to be the legacy of the Vietnam War and sort of the hippie movement and the anti-war movement in America. The cast for this uh, play, uh, which I should have mentioned, is being produced by MTC and is at their um, stage one of their uh, city center spaces. Um, this is uh, directed by Maya Dralis, who's kind of been with the project forever. The cast is unbelievable. Jennifer Ikeda, Raymond Lee, uh, Samantha Kwan. Like, these are some...
1: Great people. Truly,
2: truly funny, like, amazing people. I, you're... I, I, if it's anything like what I saw in the reading in South Coast Rap, it's... it's, it's a bit of a tour de force that is required of everybody who participates in this show. Um, So yeah, I I could not be more excited to see Viet Gone like fully realized with a satin lights and things because it slayed me just as people reading from binders on music stands.
1: Um, How is this going to go over with the MTC crowd? This feels like, so not like what they usually produce.
2: Yeah, I don't know. I mean, there's an interesting thing of, you know, because a lot of the people that are subscribers to MTC, I hope I don't think I'm speaking out of school when I say a lot of them were, you know, politically Around. conscious during yep. the Vietnam War, and you know, so it's it's in a way that I wasn't, and I um, sort of have inherited like you know what people have told me, what my parents and, and and grandparents have told me about the Vietnam War. So there's, I don't know if that's a perspective that's going to be colored by this, but it also has like the, the interesting about it is even though it's about it takes place in the past the sense of humor is incredibly contemporary. So there's something about that juxtaposition that I think people might find exciting. Maybe they won't find it to their taste, I don't know. Um, But I hope that this encourages a lot of um, younger audience members to flock to MTC because this show is legitimately funny.
0: Well, how will the younger audience members get there with $90 tickets?
2: I, 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 this I is a theme today. I don't,
0: I don't have an answer for you.
2: Um, I know that I just I was just kind of uh, on on a, a bus from another place, hence my my sleep deprivedness this morning, and I saw it on TDF. Um, you did. I did. Yeah, Viet Gone. Oh my God, let's go right now. As of as <laughs> oh my of God, as pause. of me recording on Sunday morning, VietGon Gone was on TDF, but it's in previews right now, so that could I be. I have not
0: seen that. So yeah, or, or it it's about it's about to it's be, about to be in previews. Immediately. Yeah, immediately.
1: But also talk about the super secret discount code.
0: Yes. If you follow Queen on Twitter, he has tweeted that if you want to see it but can't afford $90, DM me and I'll shoot you a 50% off discount code. I will give you his Twitter address. <laughs> it's not private. It's not his it Twitter is it's not private. At beyond absurdity. So find Get on him that. and contact him. It's quite and of cool also getting that handle out. By the way. Yeah. TDF. That's great to know because I have been researching for discounts on this show now for weeks and really trying to figure out if this is going to make if they were going to make this show accessible to an audience that I suspect they are eager to have, which is you know non traditional theater going audience. I, I mean, let's face it. I don't know that we've ever covered an MTC. No, I take that back. We they did Choir Boy, which I loved. Yeah, yeah that is the play. last mtc show i saw that was the last mtc show i had interest in seeing so i'm really really happy they also
1: did airline highway didn't they i didn't see that but we talked about it okay good
0: yeah i wasn't here for that oh yeah and i'm not saying that they don't produce good stuff they produce great quality shows but in terms of my interest overlapping with their programming it's not frequent
2: sure yeah um, and I'm this is this is I mean this is unquestionably unlike anything they've produced at least in the last few years that I've been um, you know, dutifully going to MTC. So I, yeah. th- that's exciting that they're kind of mixing up um, their this. It feels like a new direction for them, and I, I'm all for it.
0: I'm yeah, no total kudos support for to them for that. I hope they also have some efforts to make the tickets accessible. I know they have sure. an under thirty program, which is great. Yep. Um, I am not myself under thirty, so of little value. Tickets time. are
1: thirty dollars and fifty cents on TDF.
0: Woohoo! That's great. All right. We've this got a is, bunch of dates. I'm learning right along with our listeners today. <laughs> this is fantastic. Okay. So, another show coming to New York City by a playwright that I think many will be familiar with is The Harvest from Sam Hunter, directed by his frequent collaborator, Davis McCollum. Mm. As with most of Sam's shows, this one, what?
1: Nothing. I'm trying to not make a clicking noise when I swallow.
0: Oh, <laughs> so I thought I'm you were faces. correcting something I said. I've no. already made an error. No, I haven't. Okay. So, um, you have got canceled, Lindsay. This is what
1: you have wrought with our fear of making extra noises.
0: Well, I, I do appreciate your being cognizant of that concern. Um, as with most of Sam's plays, this one is set in Idaho, specifically southeastern Idaho, and it is takes place in the basement of a small evangelical church, where a group of young missionaries are preparing to go to the Middle East. That is literally all I know about the show. I don't want to know anything else. I want to go in as uninformed as possible. I just want Sam's language to wash over me the natural humanity of it. I when I went to see his last show, The Healing, I was sitting in the audience and about five sentences into it I was like oh I'm at a Sam Hunter play like you can just sense his depthness with language and how natural it is and it might be that there's like a regionalism to it he's from Idaho I'm from Utah so it feels really familiar and natural to me but I just love that. I loved The Few at Rattlestick. I know that's not like one of his most popular plays. Oh, I love that plays, one too. Amazing but play. I love that play. Gideon Glick from that play is also in this play. Peter Mark Kendall, which I don't know if folks are familiar with him, but I saw him do a reading recently. And afterwards, I was like, who was that guy? I got to go look him up. And he's been on The Americans and um, Chicago Maddies and a few TV shows, uh, some theater in the city, but I just really like him. Madeline Martin is in this. She plays the daughter on Californication. you probably recognize her. I will say so many white people in this cast and not any non-white people, but I guess it's set in a location where that is a naturalistic casting. So, hmm. uh, you know, sometimes that happens. Good news. Tickets for this at LCT3 are only $30. God bless. So and jump they, on
1: those because lct Three shows usually sell out quickly. quickly.
0: Performances start October eighth. Oct- opening night is October twenty fourth. I'm really happy Sam has a new play in town.
2: Yeah, I mean, I feel like we've also at some point in the history of this podcast previewed every single Sam Hunter play, that, and, he, and he's he's consistent. He's worth it. Yeah, he's usually. I mean, he has one to two plays in town a year at this point. For the past couple of years, it's felt that way. Yeah, um, I've seen like four Sam Hunter plays in the last two years which has been I mean what a treat um, he you know I the only th- I, I agree with you I don't I, I know his writing well enough now that I actually don't need to like I don't need a marketing blurb to tell yeah. me to go see you know uh, a Sam Hunter play I, I'm I love the way he talks about religion. So just you reading out that blurb is is fantastic. Yes, and,
0: I especially like his writing on religion, and
2: particularly religion as it relates to that you know that specific part of the United States is is something really specific. I mean the, the hyper specificity of that part of the country, but also like I think the last time I think when we were talking. Um, about uh, the show he did at Rattlestick. I think the, the phrase that I, I keep thinking about is the, the quiet existential despair of mm. his plays, where you have someone standing in, you know... It, to take another example, in an Olive Garden and like watching their life crash around their ears, like that's such a specific place to have a yeah. complete mental breakdown in complete silence, and I love him for that. Um, I love the way he talks about human despair. Yeah, um, it's the best. <laughs> yeah, it really is. I mean, I know that sounds. If you've never seen the same underplay, that must sound super depressing. And, and let me be clear, it is. But. It's also beautiful.
1: His plays also read really well. If you haven't seen a Sam Hunter play and you're not sure, like go to the library, take out the whale or take oh, out the whale. whatever and, and and just just read it. Because because he is so good with language, it really comes across.
2: Yeah. Last thing I wanna say is, you know, I think to date, all if not most if not all of his plays have been set in Idaho. Isn't there a part of you that really wants him to write like Like a play set in Las Vegas. Just one. (laughs) Just like one. Or like, you know, Macau. Or so, just one play
1: that he like, that is not in Idaho. I
0: assume at some point he will. And
1: And it'll be interesting. Yeah. I I don't know. I also like, sure. But also in the same way that Annie Baker wrote all those Vermont plays. There's something really special about seeing a playwright dig in with a real sense of place about a real particular place that doesn't often find its way to a New York stage. Oh, absolutely! And Annie Baker eventually branched out. You know, yeah, yeah, you know, yeah no. will at some point.
2: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. No, and I'm not. Uh, I, I, I hope it, I will be happy if he continues to write plays at Nineho. But there's a small part of me that's like, what would that look like? If <laughs> all of a sudden we're just in the
1: same Hunter playing in Vegas, it would be fun. It would be about a kid from Idaho who goes to Vegas. Yeah, exactly right. <laughs> yeah, exactly.
0: <laughs> I'm excited. Fabulous. What's up next, David?
1: Well, the next one is story out of not really a preview because I was all set to talk about my name is Gideon. I'm probably going to die eventually, when the show had the plug pulled on it unexpectedly because this was the show that was uh, renting Walker space from Soho Rep when Soho Rep very unceremoniously closed down their space and kicked out their tenant um, in ways that are uh, was very sudden and surprising and mysterious. Um, we all have our theories about why, but we don't need to go into that now. Um, This piece is uh, Gideon Irving's show. You might remember us discussing his previous show, which he did at the Foundry Theater, where he did it in different people's apartments. Um, Gideon is a singer, songwriter, storyteller, multi-instrumentalist. And my understanding is that this show is like an evolution of of the one that he did with the Foundry. So um, that it's, some of the same materials, some new material that he's been developing as he's been doing this in people's apartments all over the world. Um, I know he was in New Zealand in August. He was in, in Edinburgh this, this summer, I think. Um, and, you know, it's uh, he's he's a really interesting artist who there's a theatricality to the show, but it still feels more like a concert than like a theater piece, or at least it did in the previous incarnation. Um, And it may be that this next version, which I'm still hoping that we're going to get to see somewhere. They've already invested a lot of money in getting it to the point where it is. you know, it may be a little more theatrical, um, but just, you know, for someone who, who, if you like me enjoy songs that tell stories and music that really takes advantage of, lots of different ways of making sound. It's not just like he plays guitar. He plays all sorts of instruments that you've heard of and that he's created. Uh, it's, it's a unique experience. He's a really captivating performer. He is the son of Mandy Patinkin. And although he he both does and does not resemble his father in that he doesn't sound like him, he doesn't look like him, but he has a very similar stage magnetism, um, which is a little bit hard to to describe. But uh, you know, with that sort of melding of of kind of like old school vaudevillianism with uh, in his case like the sense of the troubadour uh so i really hope that this show will eventually find its place uh when it does you can be sure that we'll let you know about it on twitter um if you happen to have a theater that is empty and you want to cut them a deal because they just lost a ton of money with this brouhaha uh you should get in touch with them uh, and uh, maybe you could save the day
0: Shall we take a moment to mourn the losing of the Walker space? I'm gonna
2: miss that space. I loved that theater so much, um, and it's a shame. And you know, we didn't, that feeling of like we didn't even get to say goodbye. Yeah, yeah. you know, like it's just gone now. And um, I was just, I was racking my brain trying to think of the last like show show. Like, I've seen a couple of readings recently there, but the last show I think I saw there, I don't remember what it's that. 10 was. Ten out of twelve, maybe. No, it, I think it might have actually been Lloyd Suss play.
0: No, there was the play that the name of which I can't remember. It was the feminism play directed by Lillian.
2: I must have Lillian missed that.
0: Bruce. Oh, you didn't see that?
2: No. Oh, oh, um, oh, the, you mean the um, the Alice Birch play? Yeah, the, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. The she said. Yeah, again. Oh, right, oh, right, that right. was the last play I saw there. Yeah. Yeah. Oh man.
1: Dang. No. Here's the thing. I I appreciate that Soho Rep has grown and wants to have a bigger space to do bigger things i a a bigger question that i've been having this year especially um where the public has had some trouble where the demand outs has exceeded their capacity for a lot of the shows is I, i love small theater i love intimate spaces i love being in a room with fewer than 100 people experiencing this thing and i wish that some of these companies could figure out ways to like do fewer shows for longer runs if that's and be able to preserve that intimacy, or I, and I I recognize that there are all sorts of economics involved, that are reasons why they can't do that, um, and I'm grateful that when they do more shows for shorter runs, more playwrights get their stuff done, and more artists get to be seen. Mm. But uh, but I feel like this is there is a little bit of a tension here that I think those are not the only two companies that are feeling this tension, and I think we're going to see more and more of that, um, especially as some of the bigger companies are pricing out folks like us from seeing it more companies that that thrive in these smaller spaces which can charge less are getting more audience because that's where people can afford to go and they're discovering this really wonderful stuff and i just hope that it doesn't perpetuate the cycle of then forcing all of these things to be even more inaccessible either because they have to make it more expensive or because there just literally aren't enough seats Mm -hmm. um
0: I think we're really going to see things come to a head in the off-Broadway space because, you know, with up losing their space and Actors' Equity gearing up to renegotiate the off-Broadway Actors' Agreement, there's going to have to be, something's going to have to give here. Yeah. And I don't know whether it's ticket prices or salaries or whether people are going to turn to a more commercial model or or less commercial are going model. to have to exactly double down on nonprofit donations. I mean, I think what signature theater and LCT3 do to keep ticket prices low is such a gift to the New York theater community and to, the theater community worldwide because it brings people who wouldn't ordinarily have access to these high quality productions into seats and allows them to witness that and fall in love with theater and that redoubles to the benefit of commercial theater producers and the Broadway community who I don't think view themselves as having any relationship to the wider Broadway, uh, the wider theater world. And so it surprises me that there's not greater interconnectivity between those two worlds. And I think it's fantastic that some of these really enterprising theaters have gone out and sought partners for the express purpose of keeping ticket prices low. Yeah. So I just think we're in for a period of tumult that I hope we come out the other side a healthier community where theaters are more financially stable and also can pay their actors workers creatives a living wage to live and create work in the city here, here. all right next <laughs> <laughs> here i'll go next I'll, go, I'll do my next because i actually am doing a soho rep show as my next show um okay. that is not it, it never was planned for the Walker Space Space. Um, this has always been planned for the Connolly Theater. The last show I saw there was the Lisps show. Futurity. What was it called? Futurity. Futurity. She's God, elbows, I yeah. loved that show. Yeah. Um, Which and one is
1: the Connelly? I always get it confused.
0: It's the one on East 4th, like pretty far west. Oh, is that where Altatius
1: like, was? It's like an old, old like, yeah. vaudeville house. That's right. Yeah. Oh,
0: okay. Yeah, I didn't see that. So... Um, it, um. Uh, yeah, it's a it's a nice space. Um. So the show they're doing there is called Duat by Daniel Alexander Jones and directed by Will Davis, who we recently saw do Men on Boats. Now, Daniel Alexander Jones did a show with Soho Rep previously back in two thousand and eleven called Radiate. Did either of you see that? Nope. No, but it was supposedly tremendous. Um. This was a show with this character he has created called Jomama Jones. And it's a sort of like alter ego archetype musical sensation that I believe sings in an R&B style. Mm -hmm. Um, And Jones has actually created this term Afro mysticism to describe his work. Um, That's about right. Yeah. And so you have seen some of his work, is that yeah, correct, yeah. Jack? Oh, okay. I'm actually not familiar with him and his work outside of what I read, That's which was all like glowing and fabulous, and yeah. like there's a lot of excitement around this show that does star this character, Jamama Jones. Um, so it is a musical, and also there, there, I believe there is an, an uh, you know, a, a story arc as opposed to just being like a song cycle or something like that. So I'm really excited for it. You know, honestly, you could have just told me this is the new Soho rep show and I would have gone to it, but reading more about this show, it sounds like there's a lot to be excited about here. And I feel like this is an artist that is probably sort of a gap in my knowledge that I should be more familiar with than I am. the tickets are $35, but they do their 99 cent Sundays to Sundays in October. So, um,
1: line up early for that if you're going
0: for sure previews start october 11th and opening is october 25th yeah. and i'm excited for it jack tell us what you've seen
2: um so uh, Daniel Alexander jones is just a, a friend of joe's pub um and mm, so yes and this,
0: is, I, this is developed in part yeah there. and
2: so i just in that capacity uh, i've seen dana Alexander jones and um yeah i, I think that there's th- that sort of <laughs> Afrofuturism, um, R&B style, as the character Joe Mama Jones is precisely what you're in for. I've never, but I've never seen anything outside of like a you know sort of cabaret act. Mm-hmm. Sort of the joy- I've never seen any of the development of this piece, for example. Mm. So I'm I'm actually deeply excited because I have no idea what I'm about to walk into. I have sort of a basic knowledge of um, what Jones does. Um, so yeah, I'm I'm deeply interested in seeing you know a, fu- a fully fleshed out work um, and how that deepens or changes what Jones normally does in a more, you know, traditional cabaret space.
0: Cool. All um, right, what else are you looking forward to, Jack? Okay, so I, uh, there's a theater,
2: uh, in uh, off-Broadway theater in town that we don't talk a lot about, um, primarily because they focus, Mostly on classic works, and that's the Pearl Theater Company, which is uh, an off-Broadway theater. Like, there's that row of theaters on Forty Second Street, like on the West Side. There's like Signature and Paradise yep. Horizons, and like Theater Row is there. You keep walking past the Signature, and on the north side of the street, you will find the Pearl. Uh, the Pearl is has been around for a while, um, and is a theater company that is primarily dedicated to classics. And in the past, uh, they've mostly done Shakespeare and Chekhov and things like that a few years ago they brought in a new artistic director the fabulous director Hal Brooks and Hal has taken an interesting approach to the mission of the Pearl um, which by the way is the only theater in New York City that has a resident acting company um, so they have an ensemble, and it's a repertory theater, and they very much treat it that way. So if you, like me, have gone to see Pearl shows over the past couple of years, you're seeing the same actors take on different roles, which is, it's, you know, it's kind of a throwback. That's a lot of theaters used to have that model, um, particularly as you went out into the regions. Um, and it's, it's, it's kind of, it's wonderful to kind of see that spirit still alive. But anyway, so Hal Brooks um, sort of decided that, yes, the Pearl was going to continue to do sort of more or less straightforward adaptations of Shakespeare and other classic works, but they're also going to do adaptations of new works. Um, So that's why you have things like Aaron Posner's Stupid Fucking Bird, which of course is a riff on the seagull, and that sort of still, it's kind of pushing the envelope of the Pearl's mission while still being classics. So one of the, and, But they all almost always do Shakespeare. And this season at the Pearl, they're doing no Shakespeare at all, which I think is really interesting. So they're expanding what we understand as classics out. So the show I'm excited about that's coming up that actually has already started previews um, in September 29th is uh, Henrik Ibsen's uh, 1880s play Public Enemy, which is my favorite Ibsen play. Uh, for those who are not uh, super into uh, <laughs> Ibsen or don't know Ibsen that well, uh, this is, I think, actually a really good um, gateway drug to <laughs> to loving Ibsen um and this particular adaptation is by David Harrower who is um just an incredible um, um, English uh, adapter of classic works. He's a great translator and adapter.
1: Is this the same play that's often called An Enemy of the People? That's right. Okay.
2: Yeah. Uh, an Enemy of the People is what it's primarily known as. Public Enemy is this um, this, is, translation. this translation of it. And this is like a super, this play has always moved very quickly and it's a pretty simple story. Uh, but this one is like a 90 minute version which I've never seen a 90 minute version of An Enemy of the People. Um, and this has been direct- I already like it. Yeah. getting <laughs> better and better. And this has been directed by how Brooks and th- and so it's interesting because I I think that um one of the reasons it's it seems very timely to see uh, an enemy of the people or public enemy in this case um is the political climate we're in so those who don't know the plot it kind of it's almost like the the original political thriller in a lot of ways I think of it as um, because it's this sort of it's this um this parable about um, corruption and groupthink. Um, and it's basically about this doctor who lives in this uh, this small town and discovers that the uh, water supply is contaminated. And as he's, like, going on his crusade to try to, like, get the truth out there, he finds resistance both from the current sort of corrupt government officials as well as people in the town um, who are dependent on the water supply for their tourism because one of the things that this town is known for is, like, their mineral salt baths and— the doctor's trying to say, but the baths are contaminated with poison, and the people would rather not talk too loudly about that. So it's a, it's a, it's a classic sort of satire, um, although it's not really that funny, it can be, but uh, about what happens when um, corruption uh, and sort of um, and deliberate uh, lying or obfuscation of the truth kind of comes at society from both ends, both from people in power and those sort of on the bottom of the social ladder of a particular society, um, and they, how they sort of unwittingly conspire together to um, to uh, assist in the perva- pervasiveness of lies. Uh, you know, there's something about um, lying and groupthink going on in, in our political culture right now that I think is mm. really interesting. I want to say precisely how. Um, but perhaps you, you recognize what I'm saying. So, anyway, I just like, I'm like, if there was ever a time in the United States to go see a new adaptation of this play, now is the time. And also, I would just love to support the Pearl for a couple of reasons, uh, in addition to the fact that I love this play and everyone involved with it. One is the cast is incredibly diverse. Uh, and fascinating. Some of my uh, favorite uh, New York actors are in this. Uh, John Keating is a wonderful um, um, Irish actor uh, who you may have seen in uh, Quietly, uh, or I'm sorry, in The Weir, uh, that was at Irish Repertory Theater uh, last year. Uh, And uh, one of my favorite performers is Nalaja Sun, who is a, um, uh, when she's not acting at Ibsen Plays, is um, a uh, spoken word artist and solo performer, and her play Pike Street, which was at Abrams Art Center last year, was one of my favorite things. Uh, sort of, it was, it was sort of about gentrification and about New York in a lot of ways, and actually it's going to the Woolly Mammoth. It's um, part of their season this year. Um, and then in addition to that, The Pearl is also really dedicated to keeping prices low. So tickets to this show, you can get tickets to um, a public enemy for 40 bucks, you know, which is you know, not nothing, but also not $90. <laughs> um, and there are further discounts if you want to become a member. But also, go to the Pearl's website. I mean, this is a, a season where I'm going to make an extra effort to go see their shows because I'm just really excited that a traditionally sort of Shakespeare theater is doing no Shakespeare. I'm very excited. So
0: Interesting, Jack. Yeah, I think so. I keep wanting to make
1: we... an Aaron Brockovich joke, but I didn't have an opening. <laughs> <laughs>
2: it's okay. You'll get there.
0: You're up, David.
1: Okay, I'm going to do uh, a three-in-one review of some stuff that's happening on broadway right now all of which i think has its uh links origins outside of broadway uh first up is the encounter which is um the one man kind of show by simon mcburney which uh originated in london and i want to say if it didn't start at the fringe it certainly feels like it should have um it's it's this really uh fascinating experiment in an audio theater where uh it is performed live there's a man on stage uh Simon McBurney at most performances uh I think Wednesday matinees or someone else um but everyone in the audience wears a pair of headphones and the um and there's a team of very skilled audio engineers working live uh to create sort of a 3d soundscape that happens um, with the story he's telling. The story itself is inspired by the book Amazon Beaming by uh, Petru Popescu, um, and it's the story of a National Geographic photographer who goes to the Amazon and gets lost and um, ends up connected to this tribe of uh, indigenous people who had had more or less no contact with um, the technological world. Uh, But there's also sort of this meta-narrative about sound and time and the way that sound um, in itself, like recordings in itself is a, a way of time travel uh, that I think is actually much more interesting than the, the sort of straightforward story of this guy who's the photographer with the indigenous people. Um, it is, uh, you know, it's... It, I think for people who listen to Maximu who like the kind of stuff that we cover, I think that this is... Uh, probably up your alley. When I was seeing it, it reminded me a lot of You Are Now Here, You Are Nowhere because of its engagement with technology and its use of what seemed like it was going to be a straightforward story to actually deal in kind of philosophies of time and space. Um, uh, uh, The only thing that I will say, because I got to see an early preview of it, is that um, because it is a one-man on stage kind of show in a big Broadway theater, even though you have these headphones where it's like right in your ear, uh, I think it is probably beneficial to not sit super far away because for me there was a little bit of a disconnect between what was happening in my ear and what was happening with my eyes. Um, It is at Broadway prices, but uh, there are discounts available at TKTS and I'm pretty sure there's a discount code floating around for it.
2: Yeah, it's been consistently on TDF too the past couple weeks I noticed.
1: And I'm pretty sure they have a rush policy. Um two other Broadway shows, one uh of the roundabouts, other offerings, they're doing a new version of the Cherry Orchard uh at their American Airlines Theater, which um I feel like the press is all focused on the fact that it has Diane Lane in it, but for us, I think the appeal is that it's a new version by Stephen Caram. Um and and beyond Diane Lane, it's actually an incredible cast of people. Joel Gray, Chuck Cooper, John Glover. Uh, everyone's favorite, Tavi Gevinson. See um, Keenan Bulger, Kyle Beltran. Like, I, I just as these people kept coming on stage, I was like, oh, my God, I love that guy. Yeah. Um, and Maurice Jones, too, right? Yep, yeah, Maurice Jones. Uh, I mean, just it, sure. it, it's just a wonderful cast of people. It is the most diverse cast I've ever seen in a roundabout production. Um, it's directed by Simon Godwin. This is his first Broadway outing. Um, And it's a really interesting take on the Cherry Orchard in that they don't per se reset it. Like they still have Russian names and talk about Moscow because it is Chekhov. But it's clearly meant to invoke ideas about America and America's racism and America's history with slavery. And Mm. uh, it you could... if you mentally substitute tobacco plantation for cherry orchard, you basically have the idea of what they're going for. Uh, Uh, and, uh, you know, it's, it's the, it hasn't opened yet. The word of mouth has been decidedly mixed. I think that there's people who are really uncomfortable with that frame for this and also the ways in which the director gets that across in terms of, uh, the use of language and and the use of costumes and the fairly minimalistic set. Um, I, I think it's a really interesting experiment whether or not it it entirely succeeds. Um, and uh, for me, it's actually my first time seeing real grown up Chekhov, like not stupid fucking birds. So um, I feel like I've seen a hundred thousand adaptations of the seagull, and this is my first like more or less straightforward Chekhov. So yeah. uh, it, for me, I, you know, without having other cherry orchards to compare it to, like I I, I think it's I think it's worth a visit um again broadway prices uh lots of discounts and i have a feeling that for this one in particular after reviews come out you may be even able to get better seats at discounts um and the third uh the third one that i want to preview is falsettos which is now in previews on broadway but from lincoln center at the walter kerr this of course uh was on broadway the first time in 1992 but is Uh, the joining together with slight revisions of two earlier off-Broadway pieces by William Finn, March of the Falsettos and Falsettoland. Uh, Falsettos is my number one favorite musical uh, ever.
0: Wow. Really? I didn't know that. Yeah,
1: I I love this show so much. I'm so excited that it's back on Broadway. I was there for the first preview. Um, And it's also got... It's funny, it's a cast that like theater people think of as an all-star cast and normal people are like, I've never heard of any of those folks, <laughs> but it's Christian Borle and Andrew Reynolds, um, Brendan Uranowitz, who, uh, I first sort of noticed in American in Paris and didn't mm-hmm. understand why he wasn't considered the star of that show. And he runs away with this show for me. Like, Oh my God, I love him so much. Um, Stephanie J block, Tracy Toms. Um, it, it's just, it's, it's, a, yeah. it's a great, great cat. Betsy Wolf, um, uh, with uh, Anthony Rosenthal playing the child and he's one of these rare child actors who just uh, doesn't have like a single, single actorly thing about him. He just, he's he's great. Um, but this is not a review, this is a preview. And uh, this is a story that in the first act is about uh, a man who uh, realizes he's gay, leaves his wife and child to move in with his, his lover uh, because it's the 70s, um, but tries to figure out what, how to create a family unit out of all these people together. Hmm. Um, and then the second act, which takes place in the early eighties, um, they are planning the bar mitzvah for their son, uh, while his, uh, lover who had been estranged since the events of the first act reappears in his life and, uh, gets sick with a mysterious and as yet unnamed disease. Uh, it's, you know, it's just, it's a, it's an incredibly powerful piece of theater. It's, um, it's almost entirely sung through. For those who are familiar with the piece, there's like a little bit of rewriting, but it's basically the show you know. Um, it's directed by James Lapine, who directed the original Broadway production, but with a totally new take on it. Um, and uh, I love this show, and I want you to love it too. They have... Um, tickets are cheaper during previews, which continue, I think, till almost the end of the month. Um, so, And there's a discount code available. Uh, so you can get... Orchestra seats with the discount code for I think sixty nine dollars uh, for Broadway. So you know, Wait, get what on theater that. Theater is it at? It's at the Walter Kerr? Okay. Uh, so just a note about the Walter Kerr. It's a it's a small theater. It's a tall theater. Um, their mezzanine is great. It has it's a pretty like far overhang. Uh, their balcony is miserable. <laughs> oh, good to know. Yeah. All right, that's my Broadway preview.
0: All right, nice. Jack. One more?
2: Yeah, one more, uh, or or several more. Um, I (laughs) want to talk about uh, just new plays, plays in development, uh, always. Um, You've heard me on this podcast hopefully talk and sing praises of uh, the Lark uh, New Play Development Center, which is uh, right off of Times Square, and is a place that is, they don't produce new work, but they are dedicated to dedicated to. The developing of new plays uh, at all stages of development. So they have a number of different programs there for playwrights. It's a place where you can kind of just get together around a table with some actors and some snacks and read a first a, a cold read of first draft. It's also a place where they have sort of um, they have a, a series performance series called Bare Bones, which is a play that's perhaps further along in its development, and that's like essentially a stage reading up on its feet, more or less memorized with like a very very bare bones set in their main space and sort of a number of different things in between. And they have a thing that they do every fall called playwrights week, which is a reading series of, uh, plays by, uh, new, uh, and, uh, up and coming writers. And, uh, I got, uh, this uh, schedule landed in my inbox a couple weeks ago. I was like, I got to talk about this on, uh, the maximum theater podcast. Um, so this is the, the week of October 17th. Uh, so October 17th to the 21st. Um, they have readings in the afternoons and the evenings. And so there just know that then that if you have like a day job, uh, that doesn't involve theater, uh, some of these will be inaccessible to you, but you know, see if you can take a sick day for some of these, particularly for, <laughs> I mean, there's a lot of great ones and I'll just tell you, you can go to the, the Lark, uh, Lark theater with an re.org and look at the full lineup. But the plays I want to uh, sort of highlight for you are pilgrims by, by Claire Keechel. Um, Claire is, uh, is a, um, Delightfully strange playwright, and is uh, this has is a uh, this play Pilgrims is a two hander about um, a sort of a, 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 a sort of post apocalyptic effort to leave Earth, and it takes place on the pod of a spaceship that's leaving Earth, and there's a, uh, a war veteran uh, um, and uh, and a small child um, who are forced to share the same cabin with some very interesting results. Um, uh, Sylvia Corey, who's been sort of um, you, Buzzing around, um, sort of the new play development scene in New York, uh, has her play Against the Hillside, um, which is a play ab- about drone warfare from both, um, a, uh, a Pakistani perspective and an American perspective, which I think is really interesting. I'm excited about a play I've been hearing a lot about called Europa by Sarah Saltwick, which is in the afternoon on Thursday the 20th. Um, that is, uh, about, uh, two women who are, uh, with their children at a neighborhood park and, uh. Uh, realize that they have uh, more connections than perhaps they realized when they first met a stranger. So they've been hearing lots of good things about that, um, and then the the play that sort of rounds out the week on the twenty first is the Blameless by Nick Gandiello, which is sort of uh, I've I've read about this more more is like sort of a sort of a family comedy, um, but uh, apparently it's a very very good and very richly funny family comedy. Um, so there's sort of... A, the, the thing that I basically have gleaned from this lineup of Playwrights Week at the Lark this year is that there's a, quite a bit of tonal diversity in the work that they're presenting um, in their playwrights, and most of these are playwrights that are not, like, established playwrights. You, you probably have not heard any of these names if you're sort of, you know even if you're very well versed in sort of the off-Broadway scene in New York. So this is a really great chance. And I know for a fact that a couple of these names are people that you are going to be seeing on bigger stages in the coming years. So this is a great time to get on the ground floor. Uh, I should have mentioned at the very top, all events of all kinds at all times are free. So uh, you can, I think you still have to RSVP on their website if you want to go to any of these readings. Yeah, yes, so
0: that's strongly encouraged Yeah. They do... Sell out. They do
2: sell out, yeah. And this is just great. I mean, I, I love uh, uh, series like this, and The Lark always does a really great job. So, um, you know, and if you also are like us and you just love playwright Lloyd Sa, he, uh, uh, he works at The Lark. as uh, He's sort of a curator of a lot of their new work programs. And so um, go there to support Lloyd, because in addition to being a fabulous playwright, he is a great advocate for, for up-and-coming playwrights as well. Um, so, yeah.
0: Love The Lark. Love The Lark. Okay, well, I want to wrap up by talking about a new production from Classical Theater of Harlem that is happening down at Three-Legged Dog, and it's called Fit for a Queen. It's a play by Betty Shamia directed by Tamila Woodard, and it is about the only female pharaoh of Egypt, Heshepsut, and her reign and the way it is described is that in a very masculine environment this woman comes to power and the way she manages the very difficult gender dynamic of that is to have a lot of masculine traits. And to take that approach to dealing with gender. And I think that is particularly interesting in our current political environment. I I don't Um, understand. What do you mean? For (laughs) a host of reasons. Um, So uh, the pharaoh has a female lover. And this is described as a comedy and a farce and all about sexual politics um set in the sort of ancient egypt which i think sounds fascinating and it's by you know this theater company classical theater of harlem that we've becoming we've been becoming more and more familiar with we saw their macbeth over the summer which was fantastic um so i'm just excited to see what they do in this downtown space um and i don't know if it's in this venue because it has a highly technical component which is what we think of for many shows that happened at Three-Legged Dog, um, but I'm just eager to see what they put together.
2: You, you, you said two things that make me hyper-excited. <laughs> uh, Three-Legged Dog implies that there's some sort of technological yes. or multimedia aspect to it. You also said the name Tamila Woodard, who's a director I adore, um, and Tamila does a lot of work um, involving multimedia, shall we say. Mm-hmm. So when you say Tamila Woodard and Three-Legged Dog, I immediately like my pulse quicken a little bit, because you just like that sounds like here's Michael Phelps and here's a pool. (laughs) Like (laughs) something great is going to (laughs) happen. She's like, that's what this sounds like. (laughs) Um,
0: Awesome. Well, that's a good vote of confidence. Okay. Anybody else have anything else? There are many other things happening this month. It is a very full month. Yeah.
2: I'm traveling a lot. I'm going to see shows outside of New York City a lot. Wow! I'm going to going to Boston to see Tiger Style by Mike Lou. Oh, um, oh, nice! Fun. Cannot wait at the Huntington Theater. Cannot wait. Um, going back, I'm like trying to be like a Woolly Mammoth completist this year. Are going you down really? to DC, yeah, yeah, because they got a great season lined up, uh, including as mammoth. I mentioned before, Pike Street uh, by Najal Sun. Um, yeah. So yeah.
0: David, anything you wanted to add?
1: I just want to brag that I have tickets to see Jake and Holland Sunday in the Park with Georgia City Center. Cool. <laughs>
0: <laughs> the best of us. Yeah. All right, cool. Thanks, guys. This was fun. Happy Halloween. Thank you so much for joining us on this episode of the MaxMoo Theater and Performance Podcast. What are you looking forward to in October? Tell us on Twitter. MaxMoo is at MaxMoo. Jack is at Jack in Brooklyn. David is at It's D. Levy. And I'm at Lindsay Barons. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave a rating and a review on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, or wherever you listen to podcasts. And as a reminder, we have merch at maxmo.com, coffee mugs and tote bags printed with your favorite Maximu ISMs. We'll see you in one week with a special report from our correspondents attending the 24 hour Taylor Max show at St. Anne's. Theatrical media.